welcome to New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Well, I'm Pastor Ben. And it's my privilege this morning to close the Christmas season with you as we celebrate Epiphany Sunday. And as we say goodbye to the Christmas season, we say goodbye to a lot of things. We say goodbye to our Christmas trees. We say goodbye to our nativity sets. We say goodbye to the Christmas carols. Now, for some of you, you think, this is great. I'm so sick of the Christmas carols. I can put them off for another year or a whole lifetime, and I'm fine with that. Others of us, we love the Christmas carols, and so it's very, very sad to say goodbye. One of the Christmas carols that I secretly love because it's so catchy is the 12 Days of Christmas. And you guys know that song probably, right? The 12 Days of Christmas, which is the story of what I assume is this young man giving presents day after day after day during the 12 days, which is what we're in right now, by the way. The 12 days of Christmas in the church calendar are Christmas Day all the way to Epiphany, which comes later on this week. And so in in this song, he's giving all these strange kind of quirky gifts. And I don't know about you, but have you ever just stopped and thought about this song? Have you thought about the lyrics of this song and tried to figure out what is going on with this song? I mean, you guys probably know at least some of the days, right? You probably know the first day. In the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree. Is that a weird gift, right? Have you thought about how strange that is? Ladies, can you imagine your husband, your boyfriend, your fiance coming home and bringing you a a partridge in a pear tree? I mean, what are you going to do with that? What was this guy thinking? Right, maybe, maybe the love of his life, maybe she loved birds. After all, six of the 12 days, he does give her some form of bird, right? So maybe she's a huge bird lover. So he starts with the partridge, which is this medium-sized bird, gives it to her, right? Maybe this is a great gift. But even if that were so, the pear tree is weird, right? What's the pear tree for? Is it to just to help transport the bird there without it flying away? Does she love pears? And if she loves pears, what's she going to do with the tree in the dead of winter? Right? You can't plant it. The ground's too hard. There's just a lot of weirdness in this song. So I got to thinking, why? Why is he doing this, right? What's the reasoning behind it? Now, guys, you're going to get this here, but sometimes, not often, rare occasions, we screw up, don't we, when it comes to our significant other. Right? Not me, but you guys, I think. I've heard, I've heard rumors that you have. But when we do that, sometimes the way we get out of the doghouse is we buy gifts. And so maybe that's what's happening. Right? Maybe this guy's done something really, really badly. And so he decides to give gifts for 12 straight days, hoping, hoping to get in the good graces of his significant other. Right? Maybe that's what's going on. 
Or maybe they went to a candlelight Christmas Eve service and they had a great experience and they said, you know what we should do? Let's start a new tradition, just you and I. For 12 days, the 12 days of Christmas, we'll give each other gifts back and forth, right? Maybe that's what's going on here. Now, maybe you have your own theory. I have my own theory as well. This is my take on the song. This is what I think is happening. I think that this young man is just a horrible, horrible gift giver, right? You think through the song, you're gonna realize he is pretty horrible at gift giving. So my thought is this, on Christmas day, he comes and he presents the pear tree and the bird, right? The partridge. And her response is less than desirable, right? There's no joy there. She's not that excited. And so he comes back the next day and he's gonna redeem himself, right? I blew it here, I'll get another gift. He goes back, same response. This happens day after day after day after day, never getting the response that he wants, right? He wants to bring joy into her life and he does not find success there until finally the 12th day, we find out that his fiance, his wife, his girlfriend is a huge fan of percussion. And he gets 12 drummers to show up and finally he gets that joy from her that he was looking for. Or maybe she just fakes it well enough at that point in time to stop him from buying all these ridiculous things for her. Whatever the situation is. Now we don't know a lot about why he's doing this. I guess we know why he's doing this. We don't understand the strategy behind it, but we do get the motivation, right? It's built into the song. It's on the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. And we see that his motivation, even though it might not be, you know, perfectly placed, his motivation is love. And to give a good gift, to give a good gift, you need to have the proper motivation. You need it to be loving. And we've all been here, right? We all know this. We just got out of the Christmas season. We're a, a, a week and a half away from Christmas day, right? We get this. There's some presents that we give out of obligation. Maybe it's at, at work and we have a name exchange. And so everyone gets like, $10 or $20 of something. And so we kind of go to Walmart really quickly and we just get some token gifts and we hand it on, right? Maybe we have a family exchange and we get that family member that we don't really like that much. So we just don't think much of it. We, we hit the mark and we give something, we wrap it up or we don't wrap it up. We just put it in that little bag and then we hand it off, right? Now there's that type of giving, but then there's the people we really love, right? The people have made an impact in our life our spouse, our kids, our grandkids. And for them, the motivation is so much different, right? We listen to their thoughts and their feelings and their wants and their needs. And we're thinking about them all the time. And so when Christmas comes around, we're looking through the stores, trying to find them that perfect gift. Because without the proper motivation, you cannot give the perfect gift. So today, we're going to step into a very familiar story. The story of the Magi who give the perfect gift. But the question is, do they have the perfect motivation? Well, we're going to find out today in Matthew's gospel. This is how he begins. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judea. 
So as Matthew begins, he wants to be very clear with, us, clear with us that this is not just a cute story that we tell during the Christmas season, right? This is not just a cute story that we tell kids or a way to fill out our nativity set, right? He wants us to know that this is a real piece of history. And that's why he says, in the time of King Herod, which means this is dry, boring history, right? We can, it's testable. We can look it up. We can go into our history books. And when we do this, we can learn a lot about the time frame, the culture, the undercurrents, about Herod, right? We can learn a lot. And when we do that, what we're going to see is that we're stepping into a time in history with a lot of turmoil and a lot of tension. You see, the Roman Empire had come in and they had basically subjugated the whole known world at this point in time. And they were ruling over everybody. And as you can imagine, that did not make most people happy, right? So there was this turmoil, there was this tension, there was this oversight that people didn't like that much. That's what's going on. And this was the perfect climate for somebody like King Herod. Because King Herod, he was a warrior, he was ruthless. He was a win-at-all-cost type individual, and he was politically savvy. So he used this climate to work his way into the good graces of Rome. And in 40 BC, the Roman Senate gave him the ability to rule, to become king over this area. And so he steps in, and he becomes the king. And when he becomes the king, he takes on all the responsibilities of a king. And one of the major responsibilities in the midst of that turmoil and tension is to make sure that Rome is happy and to make sure that your people are falling in line with Rome. You see, for Rome, they had one specific goal. They wanted to Hellenize the whole known world, right? Anything they ruled, which means they wanted to impose their Greek culture on everybody because they viewed it as superior. Now, you can imagine as they did that and as the rulers did this, this would create a lot of tension and a lot of pushback. And so Herod, like I said, he was politically savvy. So what he did to counter this is he rebuilt the temple for the Jewish people. Their holy place, their temple, it had been destroyed. And so Herod rebuilt the temple. And this allowed him to appease both sides. But this was the climate in this day. This is what's going on. It was turbulence. Right, there was tension. It was a difficult time. And this is the time that Christ was born into. A time that many parents probably thought, I think we would have thought, for sure, I don't know if I want to bring a child into this world with everything going on and all the commotion and all the questions. I don't know if this is the best time to bring a child into the world. And I'm sure the parents in that day thought the same thing. But this was the reality that Christ was born into. Well, Matthew continues. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who's been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. So we get to the final piece of our nativity story here. We have the wise men, or you might have heard of them called the kings. I prefer to call them magi. And we don't really know a lot about these guys. We just know that they've come from a, a pretty good distance to find the baby Jesus. And I don't know about you, but if I'm going to travel someplace, especially a good distance, there better be a huge payoff on the place that I get, right? There better be a huge payoff when I arrive at this location. 
Because to go on, on a great trip, a big trip, requires a lot, right? You have to save up your money. You have to maintenance the vehicle. You have to get your kids ready. You have to pack. You have to get the dogs kenneled, right? You have to do a lot of stuff to go on a big trip. So if you're going to go on a big trip, the payoff, once you arrive, better be there. And for these wise men, they were hoping for the big payoff. In fact, we see their motivation encapsulated in, in Matthew's writing here. He says their goal, their hope, their motivation was to pay him homage. They wanted to honor Jesus. In other words, what they wanted from all the sacrifices that they were making during this trip was to be a part of a bigger story. They wanted to be a part of a bigger story. They wanted to be a part of the story of this king that they had read about in the prophecies. Right? They attached all these prophecies to Jesus and they kind of heard the rumors and they knew something special was afoot and they wanted to be a part of it. And so when they saw the star and they knew there was an intimate connection between the star and the Messiah in Numbers 24, they thought, we got to give this a shot. There's a chance for a big payoff, a big story that we can be a part of. You see, I think that's part of the human condition. In our purest sense, in the human condition, I think we all want to be a part of a bigger story. Now, as we grow up, life hits us pretty hard, right? We experience loss and we tend to get kind of cynical and skeptical and, and we don't really believe that, that there's big things on the horizon. But when we're young and we haven't gone through that stuff, the world is a big, beautiful story that we get to be a part of. The Magi believed there was a big, beautiful story to be a part of. And that's what motivated them. And that's why they got to have these experiences. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened. And all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. You see, as much as the Magi wanted to be a part of a bigger story, King Herod was not interested in the bigger story. King Herod was interested in being the big story, right? That was his only goal, is that there was no headline, no person more important as him. You see, as we dig into the history books, we see how ruthless King Herod was. Anytime somebody would threaten or he would perceive them to threaten his throne, he would kill them. Didn't matter who it was. Even family members, he would kill off. And so when he heard about this Jewish king, that was a big deal. It was a big deal to Herod because he wasn't interested in anyone taking his throne. To be around Herod, meant that you had to fly just high enough to make him happy, but not fly too high to steal his sunlight, to steal the spotlight, to steal the headlines, or you were not going to make it. And when he hears about this new possible Jewish king, well, those are headlines that were gonna get stolen. And so he asked them, right? Where's this child gonna be born? And they respond, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, 
are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. So when Herod asks, they have the answer. Because prophecy is a big deal. Right, these 300 plus prophecies about the Messiah made over thousands of years, hundreds and thousands of years before these moments of the prophecies becoming true. This is a big deal. And they all knew these minute details about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. And so when he asked these experts, they have a quick answer, right? It's Bethlehem. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, which is a small, insignificant town, about 3,000 or less, right? A small town whose only claim to fame was that it was the hometown for a season of King David. Now, in our modern day, it would look like this, and we have some towns around here kind of like this, right? You pull in, and they have the water tower, and it says whatever the name, let's say Bethlehem here. And then if they have somebody who lived there who was famous, it says underneath, the hometown of, the home of King David, which actually fulfills another prophecy, because we're told that the Messiah will come through the lineage of King David, which is why Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem to begin with. We see all this prophecy showing us that there is a bigger story out there, that this is more than a story we tell kids. It's a story that we define our lives by. Well, Matthew moves forward. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, Bring me words so that I may also go and pay him homage. So once Herod hears the motivation, the pure motivation of the Magi, he wants to find some alignment with them because he wants to control them, right? His goal is to be the biggest headline, the biggest story, the only story. And so he says to them, my motivation is pure too. Right? I want to pay him homage. I want to honor him. I want to be a part of this big story of the Jewish king. How exciting. So go and find him so that I can be a part of this story as well. Of course, that's not his intent. And if we fast forward through the story, we know what happens. Right? This ruthless king who doesn't want anyone to steal the spotlight, he kills all of the baby boys in Bethlehem two years and younger with Christ escaping, thankfully, to live out his life. This is Herod. His story was the only story that he was concerned about. Well, the Magi go, and this is what they find. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. So the Magi sent out, hoping for the big payoff hoping to be a part of the big story. They had followed the prophecy, they had made it to Bethlehem, and there was the baby boy. And they were part of the big story. And so they respond. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, their motivation was love. Their motivation was to be a part of the bigger story. And so they offer these beautiful gifts that they, there's no way they probably could fully understand the depth of these gifts. 
but they gave the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. Throughout this Christmas and Advent season, we have been working through this sermon series called The Way Home. And we spent a lot of time and a lot of energy talking about how the Christ child is the way home. How he grows up, he dies on the cross for our sins, which opens up this avenue to be in perfect relationship with the Father, which allows us to be part of the family. And in the end, we all get to go home. We spent a lot of time talking about that. And that's a big story. But there's a bigger story at play here. There's a bigger story available to us. You see, while we wait for that, we spend our days here. And as we step into a new year, 2021, I have a serious question for you. What's your motivation? What's your motivation going into 2021? If I put you on a spectrum, are you more like King Herod? Or are you more like the Magi? Has your motivation in the past or in the present, has it been about being the biggest story? It all had to be about you. No one could steal your headline. And if they did, you had to find some way to squash them down so it was all about you. You wouldn't listen to anybody. It was your sole focus to be the big deal. Even when God came calling, you didn't want any part of that. Do you find yourself on this side of the spectrum? Or do you find yourself over here with the Magi? Who their sole goal was just to be a part, a small dot, a footnote of the big story. That they would take the risk, invest their money, take the time off, travel to an unknown destination hoping for the big payoff? Or do you find yourself more like this with that childlike wonder, that human, pure human spirit of just simply wanting to be a part of the bigger story? You see, as believers, when our motivation is right, we have this beautiful gift from God to be welcomed into his big, beautiful master plan of redemption for humanity. Where we get to invest our time, our talent, our treasure, and be a part of something so much bigger than us. But it requires the proper motivation to offer our lives as a beautiful gift. So this 2021, I want to invite you into God's beautiful story that's so much bigger than each and every one of us. 